Hi, listeners. You can now listen to this community podcast production ad-free on Apple Podcasts and access the podcast one week early and get exclusive bonus content. Just hit the subscribe button now on Apple Podcasts. Or if you want access to all of the above, plus video versions of the podcast, head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. I'm Sarah Ferris, true crime podcaster. And I'm Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. And you're listening to Stop the Killing. Welcome back to another one of our bonus episodes that are coming to you on a Tuesday. I love the listener questions. Love them. Love them. Love Love them. them. Well, have I got a treat for you then, Catherine. (laughs) Uh, Today, we've got a listener question from one of our Patreons, Jin, one of my favorite spirits, as an aside. (laughs) Her question is, have we got, when I say we, Have you got any specific (laughs) advice for churches? Ours is going through a major remodel in the next two years and seems like an ideal time to maximize safety along with functionality and aesthetics. She does then also go on to say, as an aside, I ordered Catherine's book to pass on to the leadership team after I read it. And I told my daughter about the podcast so she can check into what their schools have in place. Oh, that's so nice. Thank you so much for doing all of that. I think you're very dedicated to keeping people safe. And I love that because I think it is absolutely, it's going to take all of us to keep plugging away at it, right? Yeah, definitely. Yay, Jen. I think that's a great question. And I love mostly that she said over the next few years, I think that's the biggest thing. So often people want an answer for right this very second, but it is really a process. So let me suggest this one thing that I think is the most important about religious affiliations. There are certainly attackers who come after individuals who are members of a religious group. One of the things about religious facilities that is very much of a conflict is that people who are the leadership in religious affiliated organizations, their entire job is to be nice. Yeah. And I think it's the same with teachers, isn't it? Right. Exactly. And it really kind of rubs against the grain for them to think about doing something that has to do with security or safety. When I counsel with religious organizations, here's why they come to us. If people don't feel safe to come and worship, they will not come. Right. Like you say, one aspect is that the people who are leading these churches are warm and welcoming and open of nature, but also the buildings are by nature as well, in in my experience anyway. Right. They're often wide open. When I was a kid, I was raised in a beautiful Roman Catholic church that had seven doors, I think, to get in. You could come in through the sacristy, through through where the priest got dressed, right? Come through the front door, the back doors, the side doors, and they were all wide open all day, all the time. Yeah. So that you could stop by church anytime. And so absolutely that idea of securing your facility is so contradictory to that. So what does that look like then? You know, you've got the blueprints out for the new church. Mm -hmm. What are you looking at first in terms of hardening that space? 
I don't even well, like to I use think, the word hardening. I know. I, you are such a nerd that you use that word. <laughs> but it feels so <laughs> wrong to use it in this context. <laughs> church. I know. But, you know, and I'm going to just say uh, church, but I mean any religious organization, including like uh, religious schools, uh, Jewish community centers. So I think the first thing is assess the actual identity of your risk. Is it an individual room where services are? Or is it that room? the kitty daycare center next door where everybody leaves their toddlers so they don't cry in church. So first you have to really assess what is your risk zone. And oftentimes I find that religious leaders think about the place where they are standing at a pulpit, but they don't necessarily recognize that it extends beyond that to the kitchen where people are going to prep you know, the tea that people have in the little congregation room after the services. So first assess your risk area. So this is my first directive to you, Jen, is what area are you trying to protect? Then look to how those areas are secured. If your toddlers are taken into a room before the church service, and then they stay there for a couple of hours, do those doors have locks? Secure your rooms in those areas. Rooms that are inside of a building should have locks on the doors. You should have a way to secure a door in case something happens. Remember, most shootings occur in only moments. So the first thing, look to how wide your expanse is. Ensure that the doors that don't need to be unlocked are left locked. If people are going to access through the church doors where you might choose to have security, leave those doors open, but don't leave all the doors open. Mm-hmm. Um, pick your doors that you're going to have unlocked. And then those are your perimeter doors that you have to worry about. So that's the first thing. Getting to nuts and bolts of that. Is it sometimes better to have a one-way door? Than- mm-hmm. Push doors. Yeah. Push doors are great to get out because you can always escape. You can run away if there's a fire, but people can't get back through yeah. those doors. Keep in mind that if you have only push doors, uh, law enforcement can't get through those doors. So there's a lot of tricks to the trade, but that's a conversation to have with your fire, your law enforcement, your EMSs, the safe ways to get into those doors that might only have push exits. So then my second point would be, if you want people to come in and feel safe inside, you know, a lot of places after COVID went to Zoom and other services where you could watch them online. A lot of services are still online and that's fantastic. And that shouldn't be discouraged by any means. But if you want people to come into your facility and you want to look at ways to keep it secure, then the next thing I would think about is probably the most dreaded conversation that people have, the most common call I get, which is, should we hire security? There's two types of security, isn't there? There's the subtle security or there's the guy standing there weaponized. I definitely feel like if I saw somebody with a weapon, I'd be absolutely packing myself. I'd be like going into the airport. So here's an interesting thing because you transit through the airports. I do. Yeah. How Perhaps. does that make you feel? It makes me feel slightly um, ooh, shocked every time. Mm-hmm. And also second feeling, oh, I feel safe. So, right. uh, so you, let's apply that to a church situation. What's your feeling on it? Security is a v- visual deterrent. So if you just have somebody watching on a monitor, that's not going to deter somebody necessarily compared to somebody who's standing in front in a uniform or standing in front in a uniform with a gun on their waist. I will say this about security. I see sometimes businesses and religious affiliated locations or businesses, they have a security person who stands around inside the building. And your threat is coming from outside the building. So it would be better 
for your person who is armed, your security, to be more on your perimeter, outside the doors, not inside the doors. So when you're thinking about where should my security be, especially in a religious organization, your congregants are your community. And there may be people who are security skilled in there, people who are firearms skilled, and you can have a civilian security component that includes, you know, a person or two inside of the facility and a couple of people outside. So think about that in terms of security, but it's very much what your congregation is comfortable with. But remember what you were saying, Sarah, about how you feel that secondary thought when you see somebody with a long gun or a rifle in an airport and you think, oh my gosh, that scares me. But on the other hand, I feel safe. Well, a lot of times, you know, knowing that there's a person behind you outside the door with that long gun protecting you, it's going to allow you to be in your own world when you come in for your religious service. So really the first issue for anybody who is charged with trying to make those decisions is about, you know, what are you trying to protect? Then the second thing is, should we hire security? Those are the decisions you make. Then I think you move into ideas that are more physical. So with this listener question, I think I got the impression that they were actually rebuilding a facility. Remodeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the physical security is a third component. So then from a third component, physical security, of course, please remodel. And as I mentioned already, put locks on the doors and mm -hmm. teach people how to use the locks and how to get in and out. Please consider that every room has to have back doors. It has to have other exits. So for instance, in the case of Columbine High School, they had a handful of classrooms that had no back doors and no way for kids to escape. They built out those doors. That's what Run, Hide, Fight is all about, so that people can do that. The other thing that I think is very unnerving for people, particularly in a religious environment, is that everybody comes in and faces in one direction, and then the one person who can see anybody of concern is facing in the other direction. Mm -hmm. I hear this all the time <laughs> from so people. Much and that person, I, like we already touched on, is there to see the good in everybody. <laughs> Right. I, I, I was talking to a couple of rabbis once who were saying, and so I'm sitting here and I'm looking out and I'm looking at this person and he's kind of like, I don't know. And he's moving up a row. And I'm thinking, should I stop what I'm trying to speak to this congregation about? It's a real challenge, right? So make sure that you think about the fact that you could put a security person, somebody who's just the eyes up further up front, who's just kind of watching everybody so that you don't leave the pastor, the priest, the rabbi, you know, the imam in this position where they're the only ones who can yeah, see if somebody is scaring them. Okay. Yeah. Don't put that burden on them when you can take it away. And one of the ways you can do that from a remodeling standpoint is you can create a situation where there's a one-way mirror, for instance, right? Or a frosted piece of ballistic glass or something like that, so that you can have a person standing and looking at the congregation, but the congregation can't necessarily see them. But the difference between that and a camera is that if you're on a camera and you're down the hallway in a room, then if something happens, you can't react. But if you're there in the room, you can react. And we've seen that happen occasionally, but successfully where security inside of a church environment has reacted. But we've also seen terrible situations where somebody has come into church and so often the leadership in the church is the target. So harden your doors for sure. And then pick the doors that you want people to come through. And even 
having somebody from a security standpoint in your parking lot. You might not think that, but I think that's very valuable because that person can also notify other people, which leads me to kind of like one other important reminder of, you know, these little tiny walkie-talkies that a lot of people have. Those are great solutions, very valuable, allows everybody who might be part of security or whatever to pick up a walkie-talkie. I can't tell you how many times I've been in places where they're not used and they're not charged. Pointless. That drives me crazy. So don't buy equipment you're not going to use because you're creating false sense of security about your protection. So Ooh, along with the altar boy, you've now got the security guy and then you can stick someone on the roster that's also in charge of charging equipment. <laughs> yes, exactly. So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins, convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife, and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this, uh-huh. you go home and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done and that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found. Have you ever felt that pang of disappointment when you couldn't add a ticket to your collection because it was digital or maybe you just lost it? Well, Stubforge.com is here to change that. Imagine this, tickets that not only look but feel like the real deal. Because each ticket from Stubforge is printed on the same quality stock that Ticketmaster uses and printed with genuine ticket printers. It's like holding a piece of the concert, the game or the show right in your hands. But Stubforge isn't just about replacing tickets. With the easy-to-use interactive designer, you can create custom tickets for anything, from concerts to sports games, pregnancy announcements or parties. Why not make your invitations stand out with tickets that are as unique as your event? And if you're trying to complete a back catalogue of missing tickets, Stubforge offers bulk discounts to make it both easy and affordable. With Stubforge, you can once more give your loved ones physical tickets and see their eyes light up instantly at the best gift you can give. So whether you're looking to reignite your ticket collection, craft the perfect gift or send the coolest invites, head over to stubforge.com. Start creating today and see how Stubforge makes every ticket a story worth saving. Visit stubforge.com and start making tickets today. Everybody wants to put lots of cameras in. Cameras are great. But if nobody monitors them, it doesn't do us any good. The other thing that I wanted to mention about weapons is if you are a no weapon facility, post that outside and say, weapons are not allowed here. Now, in the United States, I teach this class on Second Amendment for DePaul University's College of Law. And we have this argument about when you tell people and the statistics show that in no gun zones, there's more shootings. All right, that's exactly not true. There's no statistics that show that gun-free zones are more dangerous. In fact, there's just the opposite for a bunch of reasons. And I don't want to get into that statistical argument, but even in an open carry state, you're allowed to post that and say, we don't allow weapons here. You can do that with your business. You can do that with your congregation. Now you're 
community might feel the opposite way. They might want to have 20 people in who are carrying weapons. But when you make the choice to post that, you're making it clear what the expectation is. And that's the important thing. And you can follow through with legal action if you need to. Even somebody who comes in and threatens people and has a weapon with them, you have a better opportunity to get different types of charges against them. The great thing about this question is that Jin's specifically asked about how remodeling can be part of that conversation about safety in the place of worship itself. It sounds like to me that her leadership team is already on board. That's got to be a win. But who else should be on board this team? Who are the key people that would really add value to those conversations? You know, the planning, the zoning departments, they all come in with their own concerns and interests, right? The fire department wants to know that you can get out safely and wants to know that you have clearances and distances. So it's equally important that you have just plain old congregation members who say, here's what I see. Here's what I worry about when my kids are in here. You know, if you have a separate spot within the building where people pray that has a glass window where the children are behind that, maybe you want ballistic film on that window, but only a parent might think about that, right? So definitely when you bring in the law enforcement from the very start, I would just ask whoever is your local officer or two who might walk in your neighborhood, just ask them to come in for 20 minutes and walk around and show you what they see because you're not going to see what they see. And the same thing with the fire department and the fire department has a lot of codes they have to follow. And once you start to remodel something, don't limit yourself. Don't say, well, we have a quarter of a million dollar budget. So what can we do with that? I think instead be aspirational and say, what could we do to make our congregation as safe as possible? Then let's prioritize those. And maybe you pay for some now, but you put some on your list for later. And when you're aspirational and you have the whole list of the things you might want to do, you may find that some of the work can be done by volunteer committees, but you have to know the whole of them. The other thing that I think is very challenging is that oftentimes people pop in and out of their Sunday services or something or Saturday services, and they don't really think about the facility otherwise, and they don't necessarily want to put money into it otherwise. And that really leaves the burden on the leader. It seems to me that most religious organizations, they seem to have just a couple of people trying to hold everything together. And that's where you can force multiply with your congregation. I think that's probably the most important thing is that if the congregation can choose to be engaged for a certain amount of time, all the time I hear about, well, we started a security committee, but now we're down to three members. Now we're down to one member and we don't really have anybody. I would say, you know, try to crack that nut a different way and say, we want to know if you can commit six months to meeting with us and don't make your leader in your religious organization have to lead that meeting. Have somebody else do it. What do you think makes you comfortable and makes you uncomfortable here? How can we make everybody feel safer? Because that's the most important thing about security is you have to feel safe.
Thanks for listening. And if you want to know more, Catherine's book, Stop the Killing, is out now. For more details, go to katherineschweit.com. Please consider also supporting our independently made podcast. It's simple to do. Go to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. And for as little as the price of a latte a month, you can be part of the solution to stop the killing. Patreon rewards range from official do-gooder status to ad-free episodes, autographed books, and opportunities to connect with us directly for your business, school, church, or even just a book club chat. But just knowing that you are part of a movement that has the power to make your community safer, well, that's got to taste better than a skinny cappuccino any day. So please head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing now and polish off your do-gooder halo and make sure to include your name so we can give you a shout out. This podcast is a community podcast production. That's con with an N. If you want more content, then head over to Community Podcast at Instagram, where you'll find trailers on more binge-worthy true crime, like the award-winning podcast Conning the Con. And check out our show notes for all the links mentioned. Finally, if you want one takeaway action that you can do right now that can help make our community safer, please share, rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. Everybody needs to know that they hold the keys to see something and say something. Together, we can stop the killing. It's one of those things you hope never happens, but you better train for it because it will happen and it will happen in places you wouldn't expect. Be ready for it. If you've enjoyed Stop the Killing, check out more podcasts from Community Podcast Productions, like this one. Something is creeping in, don't follow it down. Let me introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. The type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now, you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy. And you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son, who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims... Subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939 when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era like Cuba and Vietnam And I'll unpack the conspiracy theories, too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st. 
You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white men, and the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy, and I'm Beth, and together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.